0: Thank you, Joshua, and musicians, and praise band. We thank you. Our music minister, Mr. Adam Trailer, is with the Regen Choir, just to remind you, up in Cincinnati this week, and uh, with a lot of parents, Aaron, the youth staff, and some other church members. We want to keep them in our prayers. But thank you uh, for those that uh, filled in, some of our regulars. But then, Joshua, thank you so much. Uh, do appreciate Bobby just saying a word and giving an overcap of our trip. I, do, I too, want to say it's one of the uh, one of many mission ministries of our church, and uh, it is a, a significant one. A lot of our people are involved, and I, too, would just echo, I hope some of you men will take the opportunity to go. And just so you'll say, though, in name, it's Carpenters for Christ. You don't really have to be a carpenter. They let me go every year, and uh, uh, Don Green noted this year, Cliff, I didn't see you put your tool belt on one time. And so sometimes you can go and not even work, and uh, I don't recommend that, but uh, there is a special position I hold for that matter. So, uh, tonight I do want to share with you uh, from God's Word, I feel like I'm committing the cardinal sin in one sense, that I will not uh, be doing an expositional sermon, somewhat topical, so forgive me and don't cast stones too, too much anyway. But at the same time, I want to give somewhat of an overview, something I, I do sometimes, not always, overview of the, uh, the Bible study that I did present at Carpenters for Christ. So as Bobby noted, we were not on uh, mission for a couple of years during COVID and just how it affected our schedule. But I'd have to go back and say two and a half years ago probably The Lord had laid on me this topic of knowing Jesus and helping uh, developing a Bible study around knowing Jesus, particularly how do we know Jesus is God and uh, somewhat just kind of bringing together a lot of things in that Bible study. So I actually started the Bible study probably two, two and a half years ago, Uh, almost had it finished when COVID hit and we couldn't go. So it just sort of sit uh, uh, on my computer Uh, sort of started to sit in my mind and heart for a long time and I kept working on it and probably had more to say as far as the Bible study than I had time to say at Carpenters. At the same time, even tonight, as I give a very uh, synopsis of this, I I do hope that it will be encouraging to all of us because knowing Jesus is central. Knowing Jesus is central to understanding all of life. Knowing God, for sure. But knowing even and understanding all of life. To know Him is to love Him. And to know Him is to have life. And we can't have life apart from Jesus Christ. We can't know love. We can't know the meaning of life. Really, everything is missing if we don't have Jesus. I remember probably in, it was the Christmas in 1980 that I had went home for Christmas. In that fall, I don't remember all of the sermons that Pastor Al had preached that year, uh, but I do remember at one particular sermon, he preached a sermon on how to be a witness for Christ. And I, probably like a lot of young college students at that time, took you know, just, uh, you know, just careful notes uh, and felt like I was being equipped and helped in something that I wanted to do, I knew I should do, but I felt very inequipped to do. And uh, but, but so at the end of the fall, I went home like most college students do for a while and uh, woke up one Saturday morning to a knock on our front door. And you have to understand, when I say I'm from Slocum, at that point, we were six miles outside of Slocum, uh, our, our family farm, uh, you'd have to know and, and beg someone to show you how to get to our house to get there. At the same time, there was a knock on our door and two ladies carrying their briefcases and dressed very much alike was there standing uh, on our front steps. Uh, and and, and you'd guess it's either Mormons or Jehovah's Witness. And these two particular ladies were Jehovah's Witness. I don't mind telling you, I, I got pretty excited. I, uh, I opened the door, I invited them in, and we sat there in my living room and I said, okay, <laughs> let's go. I had that one good sermon from Brother Al and I was ready. I thought. And we began talking and, and it didn't take long to figure out those girl, ladies knew a whole lot more about their Bible than I knew about my Bible. Matter of fact, even when they would start talking about Jesus being Uh, you know, uh, a son of God, but they didn't believe he was God. I knew they were wrong. But I could not go anywhere. I could not recall. I could not find. I did not know any particular scripture at that point in my life. And to be quite honest, I knew they were wrong, but I couldn't tell you why they were wrong other than I just knew they were wrong. And that witness situation went from, I'm ready... So I was begging God to help me get out of this, and I was trying my best to get them out of our living room, and and finally, finally, I did after about forty-five minutes, where they literally just wore me out. They just wore me out, and uh, when they left, I literally I, I I walked back to my bedroom, I got on my knees beside my bed, and I cried. And I asked God to forgive me. I felt like I had failed because I didn't know and I did not conduct myself as a witness from the Lord. Now let me just say, a lot of us will fail at times at trying to be a witness. That's okay. It's what you learn from a failure. And what I said to the Lord that day, in part, goes back to this sermon in part two. I said, God, by your grace, that won't ever happen again. And I started to study, particularly then, how I could know in my Scripture verses that related to how I know Jesus is God so that I could, from Scripture, also be a witness of how I know He is our Savior. And over the years, uh, I learned uh, some of those things and was better equipped later. I will not call myself an expert by any means. Uh, but, but I've been able to stand my ground on a few different occasions at least in in those situations and so some of that 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 event back then started something in me not only to to know Jesus which I had come to know him as my Savior about three years earlier as a teenager in high school but just knowing and believing by faith things that people tell you and you say okay this is true and by faith you receive it and and you can know it, and it can have a, a, a saving effect on your life. It did. But then also to be able to know from Scripture or other ways, how can we know these things in a convictional way that you can share? But even knowing these things on a deeper knowledge, and in, 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 in just knowledge, but how also that affects your intimacy of knowing God. And they go hand in hand. We know Christ through his revelation. Primarily the revelation of scripture. So, as you know, many in our world would say Jesus was only a man. How can a man be God? I mean, that, that very thought just sort of plays with your mind. How is this possible? And that's really a good point if you're from a, 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 their perspective or their, their basis of a belief. And the truth is, no other man can be God. Only Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son. And so, how do we know Jesus is God? How do do we know this God who came in human flesh and has made Himself known to us? Well, the psalmist David said, in Psalm 16, he says, You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. In other words, he says, you have made known to me the path of life. God makes himself known. The prophet Jeremiah said, I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord. And so through his prophet Jeremiah, God has said, I will give them a heart to know me. Solomon. Solomon said in Proverbs nine ten, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge is of the Holy One, is understanding. And so this this whole thought of knowing Jesus is is what we're talking about. One of the verses I will reference as far as a jump-off point that for me was very crucial as a new Christian early in my life was Philippians 3.10 where Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, said, "I, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. And the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Now for years that first phrase was all I focused on. And, and, and that's okay because that's where I was spiritually. Just wanting to know Jesus. Wanting to know him. Not just in knowledge but in intimacy. In a relationship. And that's really that really conveys God's purpose for us. He wants us to to know Him. He has made known to us the path of life. He has given to us this heart that we might know Him. And so to know Him is to love Him, but it's also God's purpose is for us to be transformed into His likeness so that we might follow Him and fully obey His commands. And so I want to just share in general eight, eight truths that convey to us uh, how we may know Jesus in a more deeper and intimate way. And yet, it's, it's, it's not the complete, but it's a survey, and I'll hit on a few points. And I will say this at the very beginning. It's a great study. I ended up spending about two years on, on these different things, not just every day or every week, but along the way, just just, just these general things. And I'll say this, part of this was was it just came to me as I was rereading J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God. And somewhere in there, uh, there was just a, a part of that wonderful book that was hitting on this, 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 this idea, this knowledge, that why we know Jesus is God. And so it began there, but it sort of springboard, and, and then later on some other things came to me. I'm not even sure my list of eight truths are, compl- are complete, but it is enough to whet your appetite, and, and, and so let's just jump in. Let me just kind of say, first, we know Jesus. We know Jesus is God through the prophecies of Scripture. The, the, the prophecies of Jesus fulfilling the role of the Messiah are convincing proof of his divine nature and missions. Prophecy has a twofold purpose in Scripture. It's the fourth telling of truth. Somewhat what we hear even in a sermon on Sunday morning is, is the prophetic word, God proclaims this. But then we also know and we're probably more uh, sort of uh, 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 interested in sometimes in the foretelling of future events. We, we love to find those things in the Old Testament that point to the New Testament. We love to see those things even in revelations that are pointing to the end times. And so as, as we look at these prophecies, these foretelling things about Jesus, the Bible is full of these things. For instance, I'll just give you a couple of examples. The, the virgin birth, his supernatural birth is befitting of his divine nature. It, his, his birth was not, it was natural in the sense that he was born like every other man, but, but it was prophesied. That he himself would be born of a virgin. So he was not conceived like any and every other man. His conception was not natural. It was supernatural. Natural uh, because he is the son of God. He was born in flesh. He was born of a woman. But he was born. He was conceived in a virgin. He was born of a virgin. But this is to tell us that the son of God who's always existed in eternal, eternality took on human flesh when he came to this earth to take on flesh. The prophet Isaiah said this. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. The prophet Isaiah said these things 700 years before Jesus was born. Matthew 1.18 completed this. When the angels came to Mary, he says, this is how the birth of Jesus came about. And he wrote, his mother was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. And so, so again, these things happened. They were foretold, but they happened. The place of his birth. Micah 5, 2 says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old Ancient times. Now that may seem very nebulous, but Jesus, Matthew used those words in fulfillment and saying, This is who Jesus is. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem and in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of Jews? We saw a star in the east. We've come to worship him. And when King Herod heard of this, he was disturbed in all of Jerusalem. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where would Christ be born? Now look what Herod was looking for. Herod was no fan of Jesus. But even Herod knew the truth that could be found in the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. In Bethlehem, this was the answer. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied... For this is what the prophets have written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be shepherd of my people Israel. These prophecies. His lineage. The the prophecy of him being preceded by a messenger that was fulfilled by, we know, John the Baptist. The prophecy in in Genesis 3.15 of him having conflict with Satan. The prophecies of him riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. I mean, that specific? Yes, because God knows all things. And he's revealed these things to us for our faith. He's revealed these things to us for our faith. All of these detailed prophecies cannot be found in anyone else but Jesus. And, and for us, it, it, it's, it's like a, 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 these truths are like a tapestry. They're intricate, they're complex, they're specific, but in so, such a beautiful way, these combinations of truths come together to make this wonderful truth, this beautiful picture of our Savior Christ. A second thing we see is how we know Jesus is, is God, is through His incarnation, we, we We noted it in the prophecies, and again, a lot of these things overlap, but just think particularly about his his birth. The miraculous birth of Jesus is one of the most challenging and convincing evidences of Jesus' divine nature. The Son of God taking on human flesh sets him apart from all other men. This invisible God that we know God to be invisible, his spirit, that we cannot see, yet he took on flesh so that we could see him touch him hear him know him and love him his own incarnation truly makes him the one and only the one and only john 1 verse 1 and verse 14 in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god the word became flesh Made His dwelling among us, we have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Philippians, that great passage talking about even the nature of Christ, where he says, Christ, who being in very nature God, who who is God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. The apostles understood these things. As they were inspired by Scripture, they conveyed these truths to us. We know Jesus through His incarnation, we know Jesus through His miracles. Think about the, the, the multitude of miracles that are in Scripture and, and how each of those miracles, even in themselves, convey something about the nature of God, the nature of Christ. We know Jesus as the Son of God because he demonstrated his power and his divine nature through miracles. Now, let me pause. The, 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 the seers uh, of Pharaoh were able to perform miracles. Satan is able to perform supernatural mer- powers. But it's the nature of Jesus' miracles that are different. They reveal him and they re- reveal something about him. Psalm seventy-seven, fourteen, 14. The psalmist says, You are the God who performs miracles. John 10, 38 says, when, when he was, Jesus was saying this, he says, But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, he says, Believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. So he, he gave credence to the miracles as a as a confession, as an evidence of He being the Son of God. John 14, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. And, and we could, I mean, just survey the miracles. I don't have time. I, in, in another study, you can, you can do that. But, but these miracles define Him It's defined as an extraordinary event manifested by some a divine intervention in human affairs. And what the miracles did? They attracted men, they accredited Jesus, but they revealed to us Jesus as God. We see Jesus as the Son of God, God the Son, in his miracles. But we also see and believe Jesus is God because we know his teachings. Think about his teachings. Jesus' teachings were, were powerful. They were full of wisdom. They, they testified that he was for God. And we had the benefit of, of much of these teachings. Now, even Scripture says, we don't have everything Jesus said. We have everything God wants us to have, though, about what Jesus said. The Scriptures are complete and sufficient for our faith and our belief. But Matthew seven twenty eight said this, when Jesus had finished saying these things, The crowds were amazed at his teaching. Just go through and see how many times you'll see this phrase. The crowds were amazed at his teaching. They thought they were powerful. And think about it. It was was his words. It was his knowledge. It was the way he spoke with authority, with wisdom, but with integrity and compassion. And yet there there is that, that just hard to put, a a, a name on it, but there was an anointing on him because he was God speaking these words. There's been many times I've said as I read my scripture, and we have the scripture as the living word of God. And if you'll read it, the Holy Spirit will make it alive, just as live to you as Jesus speaking these words to his disciples. But what I'm saying is, there's been a few times I've said, I just wish I could have been a disciple sometimes so I could hear Jesus say this. And God reminds me, you have my word. You have my word. It's still just as living because it's eternal as I was when I was here in human flesh. And you have the Holy Spirit to bear witness to you. We have the teachings of Christ. Now all of Scripture is inspired. Not just the words in red. All Scripture is inspired. But but when you see these teachings, Jesus' teaching gave evidence that He was the Son of God. Jesus amazed the scribes as a 12-year-old. Remember when when He didn't go back home with His mom and dad and He stayed at the temple? It says, after three days His parents found Him sitting among the teachers. I mean, three days He was there. Somewhere, you've got to think, Somebody ought to say, where's your mom and dad, boy? Well, we needed this story in the scripture. So here it is. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. These are scribes. These are are teachers of the law. These are the experts of experts in in all of Israel. In Jerusalem. At the temple in Jerusalem. And you got a 12-year-old boy sitting in their midst. And they're amazed. The experts are amazed. Jesus' teaching. Mark one twenty two is just one other example. The people were amazed at His teaching because He taught them as one who had authority. And then He makes this really great contrast. Not as teachers of the law. Meaning there was no authority in how they taught. But He was God. Not only did he teach the law, but he was the one that gave it to Moses. He was the one that inspired the prophets. All of Scripture came from the heart of Jesus as the eternal Son of God. Matthew 15, 18 says this, and just think about this. It says, but the things that come out of your mouth come from your heart. Why were the teachings of Jesus so anointed, so wise, so so powerful, so full of integrity and compassion and knowledge, but because he was God, he had the heart of God. Why are we surprised? We know Jesus, fifthly, through his divine claims. His divine claims. The truth that Jesus claimed to be God is very convincing proof to the reality of who he was. Jesus claimed to be God. Now, I want to borrow from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, and I want to read this quote. Sorry, I wasn't prepared enough to put it on the screen, but just hear me out. You can find it. C.S. Lewis said this, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying this really foolish thing that people often say about him, that is Christ. I'm ready to, this is what people say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg. Or else he would be the devil of hell. Now think about what he's saying. Jesus claimed to be God. Either he's a liar or a lunatic. He's certainly not a moral teacher. And that's what C.S. Lewis is saying here. You must make the choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open for us. That's not an option. His divine claim. He claimed to be... Early in his ministry in John chapter 5 verse 18. For this reason the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath. But he was even calling God his own father. Making himself equal with God. Now there's there's dozens of accounts where Jesus... Has made this crystal clear. To the Jewish leaders in John chapter 8. Jesus replied. If I glorify. Listen carefully. If I glorify myself. My glory means nothing. My father. Whom you claim as your God. Is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him. I know him. (laughs) If I said I did not. I would be a liar. Like you. But I do know him. And I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Good point. I'm glad they said it. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was, I am. That had some significance too. We know Jesus is the son of God because of his sinless life. You say, well, isn't that subjective? Well, maybe. But what, what is the evidence of Scripture that speaks to this? The, the reality is Jesus' sinless life is a testimony of His representative life for us as well. He was sinless because He's God. He was sinless because He fully obeyed the law as the Son of Man. But He lived a sinless life also to give us His righteousness, a representative. Think about it. He never did one thing wrong. In word, thought, attitude, or deed. He was perfect. So what does the scripture say? Well, a sampling of that would be Second Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sinned for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthians, said God made him who had no sin." So that he could later be sin for us. When he went to the cross, he would bear our sin on his body. He did not sin, but he bore our sin. Or John 8, 46 says, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? I mean, Jesus just put it out there. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? Now, just imagine anybody, any of us tonight, standing up and saying, can any of you prove me of sin? Well, yeah. Anybody that knows you. But Jesus put it out there. And everybody knew Him. And they could not prove Him. Even when, they, even when they, they, they crucified Him, they had to drum up a group of men and paid them to be liars. He was not like other men. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of their glory. Not Jesus. All have sin, but not Jesus. 1 Kings four. speaks to to this. He says, when they sin against you, for, for there is no one who does not sin, you have become angry with them and give them over to the enemy who takes them captive. Meaning, we've all sinned. Because even how people sin against us. Ecclesiastes says, there is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. Now, except Jesus. Yes, Jesus without sin. He committed no sin. There was no deceit in his mouth. Think about it. The angels testified that Jesus was God. Pilate could find no basis or a charge. He wasn't even saved, but he couldn't find a basis for a charge. Pilate's wife gave testimony that this man has done nothing wrong. The apostle Peter described him as a a lamb without blemish. John the Baptist knew him to be the Lamb of God who comes to take away. When John the Baptist was baptizing people for repentance of their sin, at first he refused to baptize Jesus. Why? He had no sin to repent of. Now why was Jesus baptized? To be identified with our sin, not his own. He was sinless. The centurion saw him crucified. Surely this man was a righteous man. Or the thief, the dying thief who once railed him had a change of heart and said, surely this man has done nothing wrong. And so Jesus was sinless. And because we, he is sinless, we know he's not just a normal man. He is man. He is, he is, he is the God-man who came in flesh. We know Jesus because he confronted evil. Jesus' divine nature can be seen in the fact that he was in opposition to all manner of evil. Jesus resisted Satan in Matthew chapter, or Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Satan tempted Jesus three times. But, and after fasting 40 days, Satan said to Jesus, remember, he did know him before he fell from heaven. You are, if you are the Son of God, Tell these stones become bread. Now, in, in, in Satan's mind, he had no doubt who Jesus was. He was just tempting him to use his power in a wrong way. Take him, and he said, take, take, take him to the highest point of the temple, Satan said. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Taking him to the highest mountain, Satan said. If you are the Son of God, all this I will give you if you bow down and worship me. Satan knew exactly who he was. But Satan's greatest tool on earth is to blind mankind to who he knows who Jesus really is, the Son of God, the Savior. You say, so, so Jesus, Jesus confronted the demons when he arrived on the other side of the region of the gatherings. Two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him they were so violent, no one could pass their way. No, no, no other man could do anything else with these demon-possessed men. And later, later in that passage, the, these men said, when they saw Jesus coming, What do you want to do with us? Have you come to destroy us? We know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demons knew who Jesus was. When he confronted evil, evil knew him. Think about all of his teaching, everything in his life, and the very purpose of him coming to deal with our sin, to confront evil, the sin of man, when he went to the cross. It wasn't just to be a moral teacher. It wasn't just to create his own religion. He confronted evil. And he conquered sin. And he conquered death. We know Jesus. Lastly, through his death and resurrection... The deity of Jesus is uniquely attested to through his death and resurrection. Paul said again to the Corinthians, For what I received I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to scriptures. The death and resurrection of Jesus is one of the most attested events in all of history. It was prophesied, it was witnessed, We know it to be historical. I mean, even even secular historians wrote about the person Jesus. Secular historians, Romans, Jewish, Greek, wrote about the person of Jesus. Some of them attested to to not only his, 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 his very righteous life... But even others even wrote and attested to His crucifixion. And even some wrote and said, and some believe He was raised from the dead and He lives again. This death and resurrection was a real event. It really happened. But probably the greatest testimony to this for us, we who come to know Jesus by faith, believing that He is the Son of God, Believing that He is God the Son. And we believe that when He went to the cross to die for our sins. And by faith we believe that there is something supernatural experientially happens to us. The Bible says we're born again. Something changes in our heart. Something changes our heart. Something, something we believe in that is real changes our life. And we no longer are the people we used to be. And we don't want to remain the people we used to be. In justification, we know we are saved at that very moment. But somewhere along the way, pretty soon in our Christian life, we start understanding We're being saved, that sanctification process. We are being transformed and conformed to the image of Christ day by day. I confess that when, as a 17-year-old, I knew about that much about Jesus when he saved me. But I knew enough to be saved. And I loved him for saving me. That first year. But through the years. Just with the joy of. Being able to study scripture. And and having the Holy Spirit. Just come alongside us. And teach us. And help us know him. And so many of you could witness to this. Even better than I. The more I know him. The more I love him. And the more I know him. The more I want to know him. But this is life transforming. I would say it's more than just what God does in us. It's what God does through us and wants to do through us. I would hope that any of us would also have this conviction that because we know Him, we also know He is worthy of worship. And He's worthy of bearing witness to and sharing with others. If we really believe it, if we really have it, if we really know it, how can I not? say something about it in certain situations. I confess to you, I miss a lot of opportunities. And the Lord shows me. But He's gracious, He's patient, He's merciful. But also, it's a blessing to get to just talk about who Jesus is to people. Knowing Jesus, He really is God. And we have all the proof that we need so we can live our life In full confidence. And we can live our life in obedience and faith. Amen. God in heaven, I pray that you would uh, just continue to to teach us these things. Making yourself known to us day by day. And helping us grow in grace and knowledge. Grace and knowledge, Lord. Of you. Help us, O Lord, to know you. So that we might love you. Obey you. And be transformed day by day, conformed to the image and likeness of your Son, Jesus. Amen. I want to just uh, ask the musicians to come forward. We're going to have what we call an uh, invitation or a time to just uh, respond by faith. If you're here tonight and you've never, never known, come to know Christ as your Savior and Lord. God is inviting you to put your faith in Him. It's not just our invitation as a church or my invitation as a pastor. But the reality is when we proclaim this truth about Christ, God is inviting lost sinners to know him. But I would also just add, it's also a time for even us as a Christian or myself, even as the one who has preached this word, to say, God, what are you saying in my heart? What do you want to do in my life? It's a time to just respond, respond to the Lord.